Welcome back to Dare to Develop. Today we have Perry of Perryville Photography with us talking all about work-life balance. Yes, Perry dives deep into how she sets rhythms and routines for herself to have work-life balance, but also talks about how to share a lot of your personality and personal life while still having a luxury business. So tune in. You're listening to Dare to Develop, a podcast for creatives. I'm Christine Herman. And I'm Ashley Baumgartner. And we are two hybrid wedding photographers that dub ourselves work wives. With a passion for developing community and daring to take risks in business and art, we want to bring you along on a journey. The journey of artists, makers, business professionals, and more who want to level up their businesses by daring greatly and developing community. So let's get started. Welcome back to Dare to Develop. We are so excited to have Perry Vale joining us today. We can't wait to hear from you about daring to find work-life balance as a wedding creative. Thanks so much for being here with us today, Perry. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this. It's my favorite topic ever. So before we dive into everything, we'd love to learn a little bit more about you um, as a person, what you love doing, and a little bit about your business. Yeah, absolutely. So You know, I always used to kind of start telling my story of like getting into the world of photography later in life, like at 22. And then, you know, I started realizing that a lot of the stuff that happened prior really informed it. So for you guys, I'm going to start back earlier than I ever really have when I recite this like creativity, (laughs) you know, realm. So, so basically early in life, I was an only child. I grew up in this military town. It's Fable, North Carolina. I'm sure you guys don't know it, but for anybody that is from North Carolina, it has a very bad reputation, unfortunately, for extremely high crime. I mean, we have higher crime than like New York City, but less than Detroit. It's like we're kind of floating in that zone. And growing up kind of in the South in that world, it's not the shiny and the pretty. And like so many of my peers kind of grew up in these like really great communities where they just fostered creativity and like beautiful things, you know, like Pacific Northwest, you know, and like Fayetteville, North Carolina, is not beautiful. And I'm so sorry to all my friends that are living there. We know this is true, but it's not beautiful. And it has a lot of kind of rough edges to it. And that's really what molded me early on is that I started out just very kind of focused. It was a military town, but like focused on history and having a strong backbone. And it was almost this like urban feeling upbringing versus the little sweet Southern version that I think people think my background is. <laughs> they always kind of think, you know, when they Calm see down, me, girl, turn. Yeah, yeah, they're like, oh, Southern girl, Southern belle. I'm like, no, <laughs> this was not cotillion. This was locking your doors and knowing which colors you can't wear for the gangs, oh. you know? So, you know, I started in that realm where like backbone was important and history and country and just this whole sort of very different world than the creative vibes that we get in the wedding industry. And so I went into college as a historian. Like I wanted to, you know, I was reading all these books about like battlefields and like just really kind of hardcore stuff. And I loved history. I loved American history. I got my undergrad um, in history and classics, which is like Greece and Rome and four years of Latin and like really (laughs) the opposite, I think, of, of where I ended up. And so the kind of crossover between that, I usually leave that part off (laughs) and I start at the shiny parts, you know, but I think that really lends itself to how I figured out my work-life balance and family and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, in grad school, so I decided to pursue academic history. So I started out maybe thinking teaching and then I was like, oh my gosh, 
it's really hard to do lesson plans. <laughs> so I was like, okay, no, I'm going to go into academic history. So I got a master's in historic preservation, which was essentially, you know, taking care of historic properties and historic landscapes and just really the visuals and the tangible part of history. Not so much the kind of like textbook, really dry stuff, you know, cause I was still who I was. Like I still loved pretty things, you know, and it was really hard to kind of figure out how that overlapped with the history world. And, and so that was in the historic buildings, right? Even now as wedding photographers, we show up to these beautiful historic sites or these amazing landscapes and we're like, oh, pretty. So well. And so I always loved the visuals of it. And so in grad school, I, my master's thesis was on early American photographers. And my whole theory was that they had these different sorts of approach to how they were taking their images. And that was really all I kind of analyzed was why they were different about that. But I focused on calamity and natural disasters, which is really funny now that I'm in weddings because I'm like, it's all a little bit chaotic. Yes. <laughs> I just am driven to the chaos. And so I worked in that field. I worked for three years as a preservationist with this completely different persona, you know, of who I was and, and what my values were. And I started to kind of come into my own in my twenties, you know, you get out of school, you get out of college, you move out of your small town and you start figuring out who you are. And, you know, I just, in one sense was kind of like blossoming and realizing how much I loved, you know, light and community and color and creativity. And I was really not getting that whatsoever in this like world of like academic history like my one coworker, I always joke was Gary and he was in his 70s and it was like like you know like I just was kind of like a square peg in a round hole and so I was trying to find ways to be creative and to just sort of like nourish that side of me the more feminine side you know that wanted to do these things and so I started taking you know photographs on the weekends of friends and stuff and I was always into the visuals and, and so I started shooting on the weekends. I did portraits. And then eventually I asked somebody, a girlfriend on Facebook back in the day, you could search if somebody was engaged on Facebook, like you could search your friends. And so I found out somebody that I knew was engaged and I was like, can I shoot? Like, can I come to your wedding and like shoot over your photographer's shoulder, which is like it's so terrible. We've all I, done it. Oh my God. We all have humble beginnings, right? Yeah. <laughs> so embarrassing and so I'm so grateful that she was like no like I don't have a photographer just come shoot it for me you know like just come do this like and I was like oh awesome you know like 300 bucks it was like a steal I was gonna make so much money you know to do it and I was like hooked immediately so I think I offered quite a few people that I found on Facebook to shoot their weddings like right off the bat and the first like the first one or two weddings I think I shot like 15 or 16 hours and now I'd be like dead. I would be like, that was miserable. I was nothing ever pays you enough to shoot 16 hours. <laughs> but like for 300 bucks, I was like living on, like, I was so happy. And I was like, this is incredible that I could actually even be paid. Like I would just come to be at this wedding anyways, much less to maybe get paid to do something creative. So I was like immediately hooked and I started shooting every weekend. And eventually, you know, I was shooting so much. I think I did like 30 weddings my first year because I was just, I was like a wedding. I don't know if we can use curse words. I was very promiscuous, like <laughs> as a photographer, like giving out my wedding services. 
And, and so I just did a whole bunch, but I got a lot of experience really fast. And I worked kind of doing both. You know, I was a professional historian working in the world of historic preservation and all of this sort of stuff. But then I was going to weddings on the weekends and I was shooting. And I eventually decided when I had enough money under contract for the next year, that it was more than what my like historian paycheck was, which I think was maybe like three or four years into shooting weddings. I still had like a full-time job. I was like, okay, like, there's no real reason to stick with it, but it's hard to leave something that you've really kind of worked your whole life and you're who you thought you were defined as, you know, that career. But I left, I left. And then I immediately became obsessed with being like the best, you know, right away. Like, aren't we all yes. like, as soon as we get into the photography world, we're like, I'm going to be the top of the Christmas tree. I'm going to be Jose Villa, you know? And so I was really sort of like nose down obsessed for, I want to say three or four years professionally. And I realized that I had this really sort of skewed perspective on work because, you know, I come from this very like this hard work background and it wasn't a lot of frill and free time and leisure, you know, that wasn't really kind of what my parents valued or what the community I lived in valued. But then I was starting to realize there's this whole separate world of like the creative, you know, experience where we're all like, we're at weddings, we're doing shoots and like our life is with flowers and sunsets, you know, <laughs> all of this sort of stuff. And I said, oh my gosh, like I can be the best at this, but this, this is a different world. And there's really no end in success. Like in other professions, you can, I'm just going to work my way up till I'm CEO, you know, like there's an end, but working in the wedding industry, I think that there's really no summit, like, because there's all different styles. There's always going to be better, somebody that's better than you, somebody that's more successful than you. And it was hard to adjust from this sort of very linear idea of what success was that I had before to the idea of like, wait, what does success look like in the creative world? Mm -hmm. You know, and I realized that I think success really was separating out the work part of it that we can get really obsessed with. So I got pregnant. I was excited. We tried to get pregnant. I was very blessed to get pregnant. And then that immediate fear, which maybe Ashley, I don't know, maybe you feel, maybe not, but it's this kind of idea of like, what is going to change? And like, is, am I going to be sad about that change? Am I going to, in some ways, regret certain changes? I mean, we'll never, our children, that's like our that's our loves, you know, like, so we know we'll never have questions about that, but in terms of like success, like what will this impact when I have kids? And I think ultimately what kind of brought me to who I am today and where I come from with this whole idea of work-life balance is that when I really thought about it, I was like, well, if I, if I just put my nose down, did no deviation, didn't spend time with my husband, didn't make babies, didn't spend time with friends or family. Like I know I could get obsessed. And I was like, I think I could get there. Yeah. You know, like, I think I could get to the top of the Christmas tree, um, but I don't know that that would bring any different sort of happiness. It's just different kinds of stress, yeah. you know? And so I said, okay, I think that it's not an either or it's not that you have to choose if you're going to really put important time on family or relationships or be really successful. I was like, you can find both of those, you know, and that's kind of where I've landed, you know, so now I am, I have two kids, my husband's a stay at home dad, um, for six years, he's been a stay at home dad. So I'm the sole breadwinner, which is very fun and also stressful, but I work really hard 
to, you know, to work for a professional success, but to kind of find balance with my personal life through all of that. So that's kind of the long version I thought I would share with you guys because I think it informs, you know, the, just the rest of everything else that we sort of chat about. And I think it's such an interesting crossover from your history background to weddings when a lot of us are talking about, we're kind of historians too, by taking these pictures of these events. And I just love that. So what are some key ways you aim to find this work-life balance? Is there any tips? Yeah. I mean, like it always is changing, you know, it's always ever evolving, but one of the biggest things that I kind of joke about when I'm making decisions or, you know, which direction I'm going to take with, with professional options or personal options is I kind of like to have these conversations and hopefully this doesn't sound crazy, but like with the 85 year old version of me, You know, I like sit there and I close my eyes and I'm like, okay, 85 year old Perry, this is like 2070 or some stuff like that. (laughs) Like, you know, like God knows what the world looks like, but like, would you have wanted me to do this? Like, would you have wanted me to go speak at this conference? Is it going to take away from something? And I try to just figure out like, you know, 85 year old me doesn't give a crap about Instagram. She's always telling me she doesn't care. Like she's like, (laughs) this doesn't matter when you're 85, you know, like in the scheme of life. And so that helps me to determine, you know, just like what are my goals going to be at the end of everything, you know? And that helps me determine, is this a good decision? Am I starting to skew one way or the other on, you know, spending sometimes I, there's guilt, both sides of it. Right. Like, and I think it's not just for people that have children, but sometimes when it comes to spouses or family or just your interpersonal relationships, you feel guilty. If you spill, spend too much personal time, you're like, Oh, I'm missing out on my potential, my potential, you know, status that I could gain for prettier weddings or bigger weddings or better connections. But then at the same time, when you focus on that, you start feeling guilty about, Oh, well, I'm not paying attention to the people I love, or I'm not like really fostering my spirit or my faith or like whatever those things that seem to like take a backseat. So I think like I always say, and I repeat this and now my friends have started to repeat it back to me. It's kind of like the mantra that we do to help cope through these kind of waves that we all go through is that I really think balance is cumulative. Like it's, there's some days where you're going to be heavily balanced on the work side and there's yeah, like there's days I'm not a good mom or I don't feel like I am. And then there's days where I'm like, ooh, like my business, I have not touched that email box in like 48 hours. <laughs> like it's like, but it's cumulative. So it's like over a large, you know, over a year, how much time did you balance well? And and finding a way to make that that sort of pendulum, even though it's gonna swing back and forth, but overall, you know, that we really keep kept it kind of in the middle of that. And for me, it's hard when you want great success. And I think everybody in this industry does. The industry just lends itself to you always wanting bigger and better and more money and more recognition. But like, to me, one of the hardest parts is not trying to seek something bigger, but trying to like slow yourself down. Mm -hmm. So like the idea of rest and having like a day of rest or Sabbath or anything that just kind of stops us, I actually think is a lot harder, (laughs) is a lot harder to implement than to put the gas pedal on. Like we're all kind of good at that. We're entrepreneurs. Like we know how to make the car go quickly, but like bringing it to a stop is a lot harder. So, you know, I think realizing that it's cumulative and not really feeling less than, I think it's a huge thing that when, when we make sacrifices for whatever reason for our personal life, you know, we make business sacrifices or work sacrifices, 
to not feel like we're less than because somebody else has attained more success somehow than we've managed, you know, just because we've put our priorities in different baskets. So that's just kind of how I figured out 85 year olds, me and myself are just always hashing this out. (laughs) What really matters? What are we doing? You know, I don't want to miss really great professional opportunities either, but yeah. So that's kind of like the the little like angel on my shoulder. It's just a little old version of me. I love it. And I I love that you talked about like, you know, 85 year old you is at the end of the day, Instagram is not the end all be all thing. And yet that's how a lot of us spend large chunks of our time these days. Mm -hmm. So, so speaking of Instagram and just social media, we both love following you on social media and just candid and real you are, but we'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you balance that with being, you know, a professional, you know, entrepreneur and having a business, but still sharing, you know, your personal life, your cute kids, your neighbor stories, <laughs> all the good things. And do you set any sort of boundaries for yourself? Like, I will share this, but I don't share that or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I love that question because when I first started Instagram and I think all of us, I didn't share a ton of personal stuff because it was just the squares, which felt very much like a portfolio. And so I always sort of questioned, you know, I never wanted to share anything like an iPhone because as professional photographers, it's not as easy as like a planner can share an iPhone. We're being judged, you know? (laughs) So like, I always kind of had this professional feel from my Instagram. And then honestly, you know, and sometimes, you know, I would use humor in captions or tell stories in captions, but there's only so much you can talk about when you when somebody's like kissing in your photo there's only so yeah. many personal things you can say um, but I really think it was like Instagram opening up stories to me and I don't know how long ago it's been quite a while though and it was the idea that they were so limited you know they didn't last for long so this kind of idea that they could be imperfect just like opened up the world to me for Instagram and what I could share because I would second guess things, you know, in my feed, you know, because like I said that that's, and I still look at that, like my portfolio, because that's what anybody can come to at any time. But I was able to kind of share, you know, personal stuff. And I think honestly, at first I was just sharing stuff to make my like, like actual friends that I knew in person laugh. Like, it's like the things I would text my friends is what I was starting to post. (laughs) And I would forget that there was anybody else out there looking at this stuff, you know, much less people that were getting to know me. And over time I started, you know, people reaching out and clients knowing stories about me or my family and their parents knowing stuff. I'm like, it was so weird at first to realize, but then I started to really love it because I'm like, isn't this what we always want for our clients is for them to know us more than we actually sometimes have time to like invest in, you know, prior to the day. So I got a lot of feedback that was positive for it, which I guess is, is it's kind of a feedback loop on Instagram, (laughs) you know? So I'm certain there's probably some people, you know, depending on what you post that don't get as great feedback from it. But I think because I was not really worried about the audience that it allowed who I was to shine through a little bit, you know, and the humor. And I try to be very sort of real on Insta stories and not you know, we kind of all set a certain visual for our brand in our, in our feed, you know, and, and a lot of people are really good about that in their Insta stories too. I'm not so good with Insta stories for professional stuff. <laughs> like, I have to be reminded to like post anything professional on my Insta stories. I don't <laughs> see it as like two separate social medias to me. Yeah. They just happen to be like together. Um, but, you know, I, sh- I do share a lot, but I, you know, and maybe it's going back again to like my background in this sort of like military strong, 
strong front sort of world. Like I really have never been comfortable sharing too much weakness or vulnerability on my Instagram, which I think it influencers do that all the time. And I think it's beautiful. And I think it's important to show weakness from influencers. But for those of us that our businesses are ourselves, you know, like I was afraid to, you know, share, like my mom had a stroke this summer and I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I feel the need to share, but like how much can I share? I, I wanted to share up into the line and I'm sure Ashley, maybe you experienced this, like how do I share in a way that I can show myself, but not have a, qu- a client question if I'm able to do my job. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the tough line with Instagram is, is being real and being honest and telling our stories because people are invested in them, you know, without sharing them in a way that makes everybody be like, oh, is she going to be in business? Or is she like, you know, like, you know, and, and that's always, I try to, to, to kind of toe that line and remind myself, you know, I'm not an influencer. I am a wedding photographer. Now, if I was an influencer, y'all, all my politics, all my religion would be out there. <laughs> I have, am not shy about sharing it. But at the same time, I don't, you know, I definitely share some of that stuff. But I also try hard not to make clients who are working with me uncomfortable by certain things that I share. You know, so I, it's, and, and a lot of my friends kind of see, you know, I kind of lightly say things like without insulting one side or the other for different things. You know, my friends who know my opinions, they're like, I can see straight through what you're saying here (laughs) on Instagram, you know, but, you know, I think it's important to, to share as much as necessary, you know, for clients to connect with you, but not so much, not to just, I guess, overshare, you know, in a way that somebody knows too much about you or, you know, like I worry about even posting where I'm staying actually when I'm staying there, you know, like, wait a day or two, (laughs) you know, and and just having that sort of the ability to share freely, like kids and stuff. And this is another thing is that I realized when I started to question, like, what can I share? What can I not share? If somebody is going to think less of me or not want to work with me because of my humor or because of, you know, me talking about my kids, I'm like, I don't really want to work with them that much. I mean, I'll take everybody's money and I'll deliver a beautiful product to everybody. You don't have to like me, you know, but like at the same time, it's, you know, what we're putting out, we're kind of attracting people that are like feel like they could be friends. So in, in that way, the Instagram, I really felt like the stories helped me to hone in more on the personalities of the clients that were drawn, you know, to me or my work or something like that. So it's, it's a constant readjustment <laughs> to figure out what, and sometimes I'll share something and I'll be like, too much. Like, I'm like, that's too, and I'm just like, silly, <laughs> be up there for like an hour and I'm like nah, I just delete it you know <laughs> I know that I know I think, uh, one that sticks out to me of your stories was when you were had so many delays on your flight that yes. you almost didn't make it to Ireland <laughs> for your wedding and I think like we we're both on our edge of our seat like, oh, like delayed again like, like sitting there like, like she made it to Ireland like, of course the photos were beautiful but <laughs> stressful legit like and there's something about needing I don't know. I think Instagram does that for better, for worse. It allows us to reach out to others and be like, help me (laughs) (laughs) make me feel better about this or make, you know, like talk to me about it. You know, and that story in particular, I was like, so stress mode. Cause I think I had, we had six total delays because of weather. (laughs) Does that happen? Like (laughs) we had like six total delays for weather. And then it was one of those things where it was like, if I didn't catch this last flight, it, we were going to be 24 more hours. We were already 24 hours delayed and it was going to be a 48 hour delay, you know? And I was like, well, this is miserable. And we missed it. 
And so like we had to run through the airport, but it's fun to share those things because people remember them. And for one thing, my client was in Ireland, was not as worried because we were coming in two or three days early. Yeah. So I actually ended up losing all of my free time in Ireland, but I landed and I arrived and I literally drove straight to the shoot without luggage and shot them. But I will say if I had been actually at risk of missing the wedding, I would not have shared that. Definitely, for sure. You know? So yeah. that's the line. That's the line. Yes, you knew you were safe because I mean, I think that just testament of you is like you planned. Yes. For yes. Advance. Like, I know I'm going to make this it. This is why we have the buffer time. Learn those lessons early. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I just, I I like what you said where it's, it's towing the line, right? It's being vulnerable, but not so vulnerable that it instills doubt or, you know, yeah, anxiety in anyone else. And yeah, I think that that one's a great example Mm -hmm. and just just all of that. Cause yeah, it, it is tough to know, like you want people to know you and yeah. the real you, and that takes a certain level of vulnerability, but mm-hmm. you know, we're not, you have friends you can text when you need. That's exactly like it. Like, you know, vulnerability is beautiful. And look, I am vulnerable <laughs> all over the place in person with people, you know, but it, you, we just have to be careful with it, you know, for all different reasons. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I feel like vulnerability is so important once, especially once you have a relationship with 100%. someone, but it's hard to remember that there's a lot of people that watch our Instagram stories that we don't have relationships yeah, with and we'd absolutely. like to build one and unloading right at the beginning is not usually a great way to yeah, yeah they just log on right. for the first time you're like it's your Facebook and your Instagram a diary yes. or like it is a business so <laughs> it is it's hard to remember that sometimes and you know it's you know like I said when I started I always would just picture my girlfriends you know so it was almost just like sharing stuff for them and then I'm like oh be careful you know like no curse words or no things like this. But then I started to also realize the more that I I kind of get into my career and really start to foster this stuff with my clients is that it's also not just our clients, but it's also like, you know, we know this, the wedding planners, but one group of people we're not thinking of in Instagram that I've noticed more and more are watching my Insta stories are the parents of my clients. Mm -hmm. And I never thought of them that way. I never thought of them on social media, checking these things out, but especially the moms, you know, and maybe it's because like I'm a female too or I'm a mom and like they start to they always it's like they have a way to connect with me and so you know I'm always careful to know that I'm also you know I have to be aware of all the relationships to our clients that are watching you know their parents are watching their friends are watching and it's just crazy to think of it's not just other photographers (laughs) or other people in the industry you know so existing clients already yeah like I know you (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. When it comes to luxury businesses and photographers or any uh, vendor in general, a lot of them do try to keep it very, what's the word I'm looking for? Professional. 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 It's very yeah. like in a box. <laughs> do you think that they're kind of hurting themselves by not sharing the, a little bit more personal things about themselves? Well, you know, I think it's, it's so hard. It's so hard to say, because I know there are instances where they, they probably having that sort of separation is beneficial to a, a business. But, you know, as a client myself, you know, when I hire someone or I look at a brand or I look at anything, that's what I'm looking for. So that's really the only place I can come from. It's like, if anybody's like me and I'm certain not everybody is, but like, 
you know, even on the luxury brands that I want something to be kind of humanized, you know, I want, especially for somebody you're investing so much money in, you know, in the wedding photography world and somebody that you're going to spend a lot of time with, at least in our profession, you know, I would even venture to say any profession where the personality actually is going to be part of the day, you know, a wedding planner or something like that, like them knowing who you are, like people crave access. And it's not to say there, I know I have some great friends that do not share their personal stuff, but knowing them and loving them and seeing how great they are as people, I'm like, oh, they'd love you even more if you post about this, <laughs> you know, like if you would share who I know, people would be even more into it. And I think some people, and that is, is a way of being vulnerable, right? Sharing anything at all is a huge vulnerability. So, you know, I think that luxury brands have to come to terms with the fact that personality and, and personal experience and personalities are really kind of the crux of why somebody is hired, or at least becomes an interest, you know, like our, our work draws them in or word of mouth or something, but that's how they connect. And if you're not sharing anything personal, your competitor is, you know? And so like if two wonderful photographers who work is, whose work is exactly the same are put against each other, you know, the one the client feels like they know better is more likely, I would say, going to be the one that choose unless they don't like the personality they see, in which case it would push them over into the other side, you know, but it, it's, it's kind of a missed opportunity. You now, like with social media, we can see like where Jennifer Lawrence is on her date. We can look at Taylor Swift's cats and Anderson Cooper's baby. And like, people think that like they have access to everybody's lives now. So it's kind of this expectation. You know, I don't think it takes away from a luxury brand because there's all of these high end luxury places that are sharing personal aspects of themselves now that just kind of normalizes it. And it in a way that I think is actually good for culture, for all the bad things that Instagram is putting into it, you know? So, so yeah, it's a missed opportunity. It's a huge factor for me, at least. Yeah. I, I like what you said about that of like, there are so many amazing wedding vendors out there that can have very similar portfolios of the same caliber. And so I think, you know, a lot of us always look for how can we stand out or how can we be different? And I think sharing a snippet of your personal life is a way to do that because they're getting to know your personality before they even inquire or mm -hmm. um, before they chat with you or anything like that. So yeah. And it attracts the people that are more like you. And I think you're more likely to make happy through your work, you know? So like just have giving them kind of like a signal of like who you are, like the right people, more, more likely the right people come to you and the wrong people are turned off. Like it's okay if your personality turns people off too. Better they know that before they hire you than one of those difficult clients who, yes. you know, <laughs> didn't realize it before. You know? like, oh, we did vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I'm, curious, do you have any tips for um, listeners who might want to start sharing some more stuff on Instagram stories, but maybe aren't comfortable getting in front of the camera? Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't start and I still don't because y'all, I haven't, I don't wear makeup very much these days, thanks to COVID. So, you know, I have a tendency not to share. I'll probably try to do something today because I have makeup on. So I try to remind myself to do like a little FaceTime on there. But I think that you know, starting little, like sharing something personal and just using type over it. Like you don't have to show yourself even, you know, like that is kind of like the gateway to getting in. And the more you feel comfortable with that, sometimes you can, you know, talk audibly over it without showing your face, you know, and just kind of build up. Cause I do think, even though I know I personally need to do it more, I used to, again, when I wear makeup every day, pre, pre 2020, but you know, I think people seeing your face and it's just, it's the, 
it is a way to know you so much faster than almost anything else. Like you speaking, even if you're talking about that you're stuck in line at Starbucks, like just having that sort of personality come across on an Insta story, I think is important for somebody to get to know you. And you know, like if it's hard for you to do, like buck up, do it once, feel cute, and then save it out as a highlight. You know, like <laughs> you don't have to do it every day if it makes you really nervous, but I just think it's a good opportunity, you know? And so little stories like that, anything you find, you know, maybe slightly funny or informative every now and then I'll share something. Just starting little ways, I think just makes you get more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know. I think a lot of people think that it has to be a big production if they're themselves and that it can be just a behind the scenes cell phone snap. Or I know like a lot of people will ease into photographers will ease into sharing themselves on even the feed with like a, here's me shooting a wedding, (laughs) you know, my husband took. So because it is awkward to put your face out there or it feels weird, right? Yet, you know, on the camera to a camera, (laughs) which is, you know, an acquired skill practice. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So hopping a little bit back to more work-life balance again, why is having a good work-life balance so important to you and what helps you prioritize well, you know, you talked a little bit about some days it's work, some days it's family. How do you kind of ebb and flow and prioritize that ebb and flow in your life? Yeah. Well, you know, in terms of why the balance is important to me, it's because there's two different sides and maybe it's, maybe it's easier for men. I don't know. You know, I think that especially as women in a profession like this, it's really easy to feel like you have to be, you know, one versus the other, you know, you have to be so into work and just like this bad a boss, you know, like lady, or you have to be like the loving mother who never is distracted from her children. You know, like, it's like, why, why do, why do I have to be one of those? You know, so personally for, (laughs) right. We don't have to. So personally for me, you know, like I'm a woman of faith and I never want to lose myself, you know, literally or figuratively, like in a world that's not going to last, you know, like I don't want to get so wrapped up in the parts of the profession that are really easy to draw us away from the meaning of it. Like we all know weddings are important and we feel that during ceremonies or during special moments. Like we all know those of us that are present on weddings, we know the importance of it, but the nature of the industry tends to pull us out of it, you know? And so I'm always trying, you know, and I I think my faith kind of hones me in on that personal side of it and saying like, this is what matters, you know, weddings matter the Instagram post of the wedding does not matter, you know, like, and being able to know the difference to that, you know, and then professionally, I'm the breadwinner. So I, you know, I'm all about smashing the patriarchy and my husband, you know, stays at home with our kids and does the grocery shopping and the dinners and all that sort of stuff. And so that's also important to me, you know, in combination with my faith that I am a strong female that isn't, feeling guilty about making business choices that might make me leave my family for a few days or something like that. And because both are so important to me, you know, my faith and I guess my feminism, which I never put those two together, (laughs) but you know, sometimes they're at, they're at odds with each other. And so it's important to me to kind of figure those two things out. And the way that I essentially prioritize that is knowing And I think anytime that you go through something difficult, you know, I'm sure that you guys can speak to this as well. Like it just helps reset priorities and it helps you to refine and it makes things much clearer right away, you know, like important things. And so I think 
the things that I've gone through, you know, like I lost my father when I was in high school and coming from the community in the area that I came from in Fayetteville and just a lot of different difficult things. And then having to go walk through a stroke with my mom this year and, you know, those sort of things where the world is no longer like sunset kisses and, and beautiful bouquets. It, it reminds me, you know, when I have difficult days or experiences that, what, what's important, like no longer, it's no longer hard to figure that out, you know? So to me, having those experiences, I think actually makes it very easy for me to feel what's important and not have to just, I'm not usually conflicted in that way because I know what's important. And, you know, if I start, if it starts feeling unbalanced then I make a point to take a day of rest, I make a point to, you know, step away from work and I'm working very hard to set expectations for myself on both ways, you know, to use technology in a way that's healthy. And really just to remind myself that every wedding, which I think ultimately is sometimes our problem, that every wedding is worthy of us shooting it. It's not about like, oh, this one paid me a lot of money, or this one is going to be in Martha Stewart, you know, like, it really, that doesn't matter, you know, and realizing the importance of weddings and why we're there, that sort of thing is what helps me keep that that sort of direction pointed due north for sure. hundred percent. I think it was at Hyberco last year. I think it was Corbin who was talking about like, you know, she had worked and worked and worked for that Martha feature. And then uh-huh. she got the call, yeah. the cover. And then she was like, right. I don't feel any different. Right. Like, you know, like, well, legit. Are, like you have those moments where you think that something is such a milestone and you let a lot of other things slide just to get to a milestone. And then you're like, that wasn't, that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't it. That wasn't what filled my cup, you know? Yep. Um, And so, yeah, I love that you touched on that. So how how do you redefine success in your mind to help achieve these goals that you have? Yeah, I think that one of the most important things to me from the beginning has always been because I started in a world where, you know, I had a paycheck and it was by, you know, I got a paycheck every two weeks and this is what my income was going to be. And it was important to me when I started working in the world of weddings, because it was kind of scary to think like, well, technically you're not guaranteed another paycheck. I mean, usually when we start that ball rolling, like we're going to be fine, but COVID taught us anything. Like, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And so to me, always being able to create a business and start a foundation of connections in the industry that could be sustainable was always my goal. So early on, you know, and I was trying to decide, do I want to like, you know, shoot really, really high and do these ginormous weddings? I was like, but is that sustainable living where I live? You know, I live in North Carolina and we have a really wonderful wedding industry here. You know, I have access to the whole East coast, which is thriving. And I said, you know, to stay in this area, to be near my family, to raise a family in the community, North of Fayetteville. Now we don't live here. you know, that I, that I want to, what, what do I have to do? And being able to, to have weddings and pricing myself in a way where I have a high vault. I do a a larger volume of weddings, I think just personally than a lot of people do. And I know I could raise my prices, but having that sort of comfort of sustainability of knowing that I have a lot of people that are coming in that are booking and kind of just driving this train. That is what's important to me, not necessarily what the weddings are. So keeping people happy and, you know, having clients that are, 
appreciative because we all sort of want that validation. And I found it's not necessarily from like Instagram or other photographers. It means the most when it's that client that you thought you could not please and you did, you know, or the one who is just so grateful you were there. So being able to really just please the clients I get and having work that is sustainable through pandemics and, you know, like life changes and things like that. That to me is like where I've kind of found my professional success. And then personally, I really just want, you know, I think maybe you guys see this too, but a lot of times at weddings, I really love to watch the dynamics between these kids and their adult, like the adult kids and their parents. Mm -hmm. And they're very different. And sometimes I'm like, Ooh, they don't get along. (laughs) Like This is, this is dicey, you know? And sometimes you can tell that they are just so intertwined with each other. And for me, it's kind of like, and weddings remind me of that every weekend. Like I want my kids to to be the kind that are connected to me, even when they're adults on their wedding day that want me to be a part of it. And so I'm trying, I guess that is a long-term goal for success. We'll determine that after my kids get married on what, you know, what they actually thought of me as a mom, but that's it. Like, I always want them to kind of have these positive um, memories and, you know, the way that I parented and how present I was and what we did as a family. I want that to kind of, I guess, influence what their childhood is like with me as their mother. So for sure. Well, being like you said, the the breadwinner and, you know, really providing for your family, have you implemented certain rhythms or routines to really help you keep that work balance, work-life balance a priority while you are still hustling and grinding? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like this is one of the things I love most. Um, and I posted about it recently where I've decided like, I essentially realized that I was not in control of how much time I was dedicating to work and business because it's very easy to get kind of sucked into it Mm -hmm. and to extend your business hours, you know, continually, you know, and things like that. And so I said, okay, I am going to try to slow myself down. I put limits on my phone for apps and for screen time. And then I started, I was like three months in and I started to just blow past all those limits. I was like, okay, this isn't working anymore. And so I temporarily, my goal was to do, it's like a 2021 I wanted to do. My goal was to see if I could do 30 days with a dumb phone. And I use the light phone for that. It's a couple hundred dollars, but essentially it doesn't do anything. It only calls and gets text messages. And that essentially allowed me when I walk out of my office to disconnect completely from the hustle. Even, you know, my brain that was wanting it for a few days after a while, it started to realize like, oh, I'm not checking notifications because I don't get any like it's like it's, you know, there's no news updates or emails or things like that. And so that's a big one for me. My goal was 30 days. I'm probably like three weeks in now and I'm not going back like as of right now, maybe check back in in six months if I get desperate and I need it. Like I I know that I might go back, but right now it is doing the boundary setting for me because I physically was not really doing a good job of that for myself. And so I do that. I also have, and anybody listening can't see this, but I'm going to show you guys because you can. So this is a time tracker. I have this thing called a timeular. I think it's like T-I-M-U-L-E. AR, yeah, Google will tell you. And so what this does is it actually has like a little balance in it. And it's a, a little block that I put on my table and it, like based on what I'm doing. So if I'm on Instagram, I'll lay it on one side. If I'm um, editing, I'll lay it on one side. If I'm on a phone call and what it has done is it will track, it sends it directly to my computer. And so it'll tell me exactly how long it takes me to edit a wedding. It'll tell me exactly how long I spent 
talking to my girlfriend on FaceTime when I should have been doing work. And so I think just being aware of those things, like for the first time in my career, I really figured out exactly how many hours and minutes it took me to completely finish a wedding edit, you know, from top to bottom. And it was so much less than I thought. Like I thought, oh, it takes me a week to edit a wedding, like over, you know, mostly drunk dance. Well, there's not a ton for, for film, but like, you know, just because I was so distracted. So these sorts of tools, you know, using my, my dumb phone to, to, to help me disconnect and using a time tracker. I also do like a sunrise alarm in the morning. I've started to wake up for my family because they're just like balls of chaos and I need some peace and relaxation in the mornings. So I'll do that to kind of start and get up and, and read. And I think really any rhythm that, that you can do consistently helps to shape, you know, the best way to set these sorts of boundaries. It's, you know, it's one way to kind of look at it. Like, you know, we're like a flowering vine or bush, you know, it's like having a trellis, like we need something to keep us on track so that we grow efficiently and well, and not like wild, you know, like because we will if we don't have these boundaries. So instead of looking at setting the boundaries that I make for myself as kind of things that limit me, seeing these boundaries and these tools and, you know, drawing limitations on how long I'm going to do certain things, those actually give me freedom in a lot of ways because it allows me to not feel guilty in the hours that I'm working if I know this is work time, you know, and not feel guilty on the personal side if I'm out because these are the boundaries that I've set, you know, I'll do a certain amount of hours. So I think being aware of that as much as possible. And again, you know, like I said, I highly recommend the light phone. I've just started. All my friends think I'm crazy. They hate me for it because it's like, I like just call them back because texting is such a pain in the butt, you know? Um, and they're like, like why are you calling in response to a text message? Yes. It's like the worst. You're not supposed to do that. And I'm like, just let me leave a voicemail. Like, I understand if you don't pick up, but like, like but it's, I know they, well, they don't love it. So like I've been Instagram messaging and that's the other thing. So since I don't have social media, I don't have an iPhone anymore. I'll post from my husband's phone. So like, if I'm going to post a personal Insta story or something like, but that's also having accountability because somebody else is kind of holding that. And then I, I respond to messages and stuff like that and, t- and like comment when I need to from the desktop. Mm-hmm. So I still have access to social media. I'm still, you know, using the screen. I'm just not allowing it to kind of take over my life in a way that I, almost all screens have a tendency to do. Leaking into personal all the time. And then you're like, all of a sudden you're like, I'm staring at my phone this whole time next to my husband. Yeah. He's also- yep. <laughs> I know the, the weekly phone metrics are a very scary thing. when <laughs> You get those little reports. <laughs> I know. And once you stop doing it, then you start recognizing everybody else. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh God, is this what I was doing? <laughs> Like, you know, so it's, it's, I think it's important to reevaluate that stuff and, you know, and to, if you don't, if you're not happy with it, to do something to fix it, you know, both ways, if you're, if you're kind of abandoning work because you're getting too lost, we can get lost in both ways. Mm-hmm. I have a tendency to have to work against getting lost in work, but you know, I know there are people that have a tendency of getting lost in family and kids and, and that sort of life and not not going towards the hustle side. So just being aware of that more than anything is one of the most important things that we can do and talking to friends about it openly and having people that help hold you accountable, whether it's a spouse or somebody else. It's just one of those ways that I think long-term 85 year old versions of us are going to be really happy that we did. I love how you are using that little time tracker because it is so true. A lot of times we think things take much longer than they do. 
I had a coach at one point just talk like we were just talking about, you know, like the tasks you put off, whether that's work or personal. And for me, I folding laundry is like the bane of my <laughs> existence. And I feel you. Well, how long does it actually take? And I was like, well, I don't know. It feels like it takes like two hours, you know, to fold. And she's like, okay, I want you to go to your bedroom. I want you to set your phone timer, like stopwatch and record. And it was like 18 minutes. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, and it's like, but you put the task off because you're like, oh, I need an hour. Like I'm going to put Netflix on while I mm-hmm. all this. And then it's like, okay, if I think about it and I'm, it's still a work in progress, but if you think like, it's only going to take me 15 minutes, like when I, if I stay focused for 15 minutes, it's done. And then it's not on my plate anymore. And I feel like that's what you're saying yeah. about the weddings. You're like, oh, it takes totally. And it's like, it doesn't, we just get distracted or we like are moving slow because we're dreading the task itself or we do it to ourselves. You know, like I literally would always say, okay, it takes a week, you know, I download it. And then I think it took me like four hours and 45 minutes. I was like, what the, and that like included exporting. I was like, this has been taking me a week for every, what is happening? You know? And then also like, you know, I have some of these emails. I'm like, okay, get the inbox down to zero. It's going to take me all day. Okay. So Wednesday I'm going to focus on my inbox. And then I did a timer and I got rid of like six and three and a half minutes. And I was like, okay, these have been flagged for two months. Like these poor people, if I would have just taken, you know, cause it was like quick responses or little like things like that. And, and I, I mean, honestly, it's one of the biggest things that helped me to figure that out. And, and that's what also lets me figure, you know, okay. If a wedding really only takes me four and a half hours or whatever it actually takes versus a week, then yeah, I do have time to go with my kids to the park realistically, you know, and knowing that I can dive into kind of that deep work end of things, if I'm aware of it has been so helpful. So like, I would really recommend, I can't, I can't say it right. Cause it's like a weird double name, but Timeular is the one that I have. And it has all these different sides and you buy like a subscription to it or you don't have to, but it like, so right now, if I had started it, it keeps a, a running tally of how long you've done a task too. So if you're editing and you're like, okay, I'm going to do 45 minutes of editing and then I'm going to go do something else and let my brain rest. Mm-hmm. But like the time will just be running really small on your computer too. So mm-hmm. it's in, these little tools, technology can really benefit us if we allow it to work in the right ways for sure. And, and like you said, with being aware, it diminishes that feeling of guilt that we have. Mm-hmm. And, and we're allowed to do all the things we want, really, that we really need family and business-wise. So, yeah, I love that. So, yeah. anyway, thank you so much for sharing all of that informative information with us. We loved it. We'd love to go to a time of Fast Facts for our listeners to get to know you more. Okay, I'm ready. Wonderful, wonderful. So, first, what do you shoot with? Okay. So I shoot with the contacts for 99% of the day. I, when I go into dark dance floors, then I also shoot with a Sony, um, and a Sony lens on it. I, cause it's so tiny and I'm so tired of carrying the contacts all day. It just feels like I'm using a point and shoot. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Awesome. And what is your favorite post-wedding snack on the way home? Oh, post-wedding snack. Okay. You know, I'm always going for that really cold Pepsi, like at the very end of the reception. Like, I'm like, just give me one to get me through this last hour. You know, so that's like, it just makes me feel so good inside. It's like, I'm looking forward to it. So I would say, you know, probably a soft drink are definitely my vices. And I will say, and I don't know, maybe this isn't PC, but like, I get very like worked up after weddings, like my brain won't shut off. And then one of my doctor friends was like, oh, you should just grab a melatonin for those really busy days that you can't turn off. I'm going to say that's a nice, 
that's a nice post-wedding snack if you need to go to sleep after. <laughs> like, just like one, just like a little one to help you go to sleep and not question if you took a second photo of the, the dog that had the ring pillow on its back. Always the know. flower girl. That one always gets me. I'll be, yeah. I'll be like, did I take a solo of the flower girl? Right. You just like wake up, like you're almost asleep and then your eyes shoot open and you're like, oh my God. Like, you know, you think of something you forgot. So about it too. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to throw that on there for anybody whose brain will work until two or 3 a.m. reminding you of the things you should have done. A nice little tiny melatonin gummy if you need it. <laughs> I love it. So what is, pump, is your favorite pump up jam um, to get you into? You know, lately, and there hasn't been a ton of weddings in 2020, but like, and this is, he's Broadway. So I don't know if it's the best example, but I really love Ben Platt. Um, and most people don't really know him, but he's, it's just very emotional and beautiful and intentional. And it just feels like you're just in it with him. And so I like to get in that sort of, I'm really good at finding beautiful moments on wedding days. And so I like my music that's pumping me up to, to be like visceral and like, okay, let me get the moments, you know? So Love yeah, it. some Ben Platt. I know. So are you talking his originals or are we going like Dear Evan Hansen soundtrack? <laughs> it's so not so much on the Evan Hansen side. I like his most recent one. I mean, I like all of them, but for like, you know, the sure. emotional wedding, like I'm rocking my head around. Although some of the words don't apply to weddings. I just, I love it. So, so what is your favorite thing to do outside of the wedding? You know, I think it's, you know, I love a lot of things that a lot of people in the creative world love. You know, I love interior design and I love, I, I'm big into reading. I listen to a ton of audiobooks. I also needlepoint, which is I, sometimes slightly embarrassing. I don't know. No, um, I, I think 2020 is the year where we all own the unique hobbies. Yes, we did. Yeah. So I picked that up and I love that. And then just like, you know, it's essentially travel and um, the ocean is always a big place for me to kind of wind down outside of the wedding world for sure. Wonderful. So what is the best education book podcast you've learned? There's a billion. I always love Oprah. Like even though sometimes like some of her people, I'm a little bit, I question a little bit what they're saying. I always love her because she makes me try to be intentional about what I'm doing. I'm reading a really good book right now, which you can probably tell based on my lack of technology that I'm trying to implement. And it's called The TechWise Family. And I actually don't know the author. So I love it. It's a great book just about setting personal boundaries within your home as you're raising kids. So they're not being raised in an environment you know, that really disconnects them from actual reality. <laughs> so I love that book right now. Love it. And what is one daring leap you've taken in your business? So I would probably say it, it's kind of just like the big one of getting out of a small town where I never thought I would, like, I always thought I'd live there. I always thought that's the life I would have. I would work in the tiny town that I grew up in. And I think it was a big leap that I took without realizing it, you know, going from, that world and it, you know, low income and a lot of different sort of issues and family life and, and the community that I was in and then being in this world. I mean, that itself is a constant, I am, I'm always in awe of these weddings, you know, because of where I came from and what I saw. So that in itself to me is the biggest leap. I always, you know, I, I drive back through my hometown and I'm like, holy goodness, you know, like what, how did I get to where I am? you know, after, after this, you know? So yeah. So I think that's probably the biggest leap is just, is going out on my own. <laughs> I think when we don't have, we grow up in such a small area, we don't have that goal. We don't see it. So then you're yeah. like, how did I even get to this goal? Like I had nobody <laughs> in my life that was like there, but somehow I got there. <laughs> exactly. And maybe that's the way that we get there in the right way. I think, you know, when you're not hunting after it, when you, when you come upon it because you're working hard, I think that's, that kind of sets you up for the best, the best experience of it, at least. 
Totally. So what is one thing you feel like you're great at? So I would probably say two things. So the first, I would say most people that know me lightly or know me a little bit would probably say that I'm, you know, I have like a big personality and I'm very warm and friendly and I love all of those things. Like I, I like, I just am so grateful to have any sort of that thing be kind of what I'm recognized for. But for the people that know me best, like my friends that are closest to me, I definitely think, you know, and I don't know if this is the best way to say it, but I don't think anybody would say that I'm like, nice or kind, you know, in, in the way that like a lot of my friends realize once they get to me, there's a very strong sort of backbone and like idea of, of confidence and, and justice and like how things should work, you know, professionally or business wise and just kind of being that. And again, maybe it's what I, people know me for in the industry. I don't think necessarily, although I do field a lot of phone calls from my friends for business questions. I'm always, I'm always up for like, you know, I kind of welcome confrontation. <laughs> like, And even though maybe people don't realize that, I think it's one of my, my greatest assets in this business is that, you know, I'm not afraid to directly address something with a client or a peer. And because of that, I think it gives me so much confidence in handling any of these rougher parts of the industry. That's not easy or personal life because, and then it allows me to be warm and friendly because I'm not really scared of anything, you know, in terms of, of what professional could come my way with 20 postponements, you know, like thanks to 2020, you know, or something like that. So so hopefully a mix of those two things. Yeah. And I love, I know you mentioned the confrontation and the difficult topics. Your presentation in Bell Lumiere Summit about that was, was wonderful. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad you got to see that. Yeah. I did a whole talk on managing tough conversations and I didn't realize people don't love those like I do. <laughs> No, not, not some of our favorite. Depending on, I feel like, uh, what, what is your Enneagram? I feel yeah. like it might oh, just what is, I think it's an eight. It's whatever the aggressive one is. over here. Like, yeah. we just want everyone to be happy and like me. <laughs> I, I mean, it works for everybody, but all my friends come to me and they're like, okay, how would you handle it? I'm like, tell me, I want yeah. to hear this, you know? So you can I send the hotline, you know, Charlie. I, I'm here for it. You guys like, I love it. Uh Uh I love all that stuff. So Perry, where can our listeners find you online? Website, social media. I know you have good boundaries with it now, but I do. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just perryvale.com is my website. And then I'm on Instagram at perryvale as well. So I make it really simple. So wonderful. So before we take off, where, what is one thing you want to dare our listeners to do after hearing your episode? Oh, you know, I would say, I think that they should dare themselves to be really candid and open personally about how they're spending their time Mm -hmm. and to kind of analyze that for yourself to determine if it is skewed one way or another and be really intentional about it instead of constantly complaining that you spend too much time working or or not enough time working, but to actually put your nose down and like, you know, go to the grindstone and do something about it and, and make changes if you have to, because we have to constantly be readjusting. Well, thank you so much for coming on Dare to Develop today. We really appreciate it. Awesome. It's been so fun to spend time with you guys. I absolutely loved hearing all the great advice that Perry gave to us today. Yes, I loved the idea of talking to your 85-year-old self and really putting into perspective what's important at the end of the day, because that really will help inform how you determine what work-life balance is for you. Mm -hmm. Yes. So catch us next time on Dare to Develop. 
Thanks so much for joining us today on Dare to Develop. We'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review if you love today's episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at daretodeveloppodcast.com and follow along on IG at Dare to Develop. Catch us next week for more fun as we hear from creatives who have dared greatly in their businesses and develop community along the way. 